In a world that's a little simpler comes the tale of Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. It's a corn-growing story without all the drama. Unless you add totally epic music, really random sound effects, and a cool announcer guy. Get ready for the blockbuster yields of the summer with Veltima fungicide from BASF. Coming soon to a field near you. Always read and follow label directions. Coda has a new way to pay. Now you can use the Transit mobile app to plan, track, and pay for your Coda ride. For a limited time, everyone who creates a Coda account in the Transit app will get a $4.50 credit. What are you waiting for? Download the Transit app today. This morning, I want to embark on probably, it's going to take two to three Sundays to really go through this. Um, I want to talk about what hinders revival, hindrances to revival and how we can overcome those hindrances. And I'm calling this message actually fire quenchers, fire quenchers. So 1 Thessalonians 5.19 in, in God's word translation says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Now, some other translations say what? Do not quench the Spirit. The Greek word means to extinguish to put out a fire, so hence this rendering in God's word. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Think about that. We can put out the Spirit's fire. Wow. God Almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful, has actually uh, put himself in a position, in a sense, of subserviency. Not that we are above God, but that's not what I'm saying but in the sense that we actually have been so empowered that we can quench the move of the Spirit. We can put out the Spirit's fire. What an amazing uh, responsibility that we have to make sure that this does not happen. And let me say that often the way this fire of God is extinguished is not necessarily done through a deliberate act. Often... It's just done through negligence. You know, in the natural, there's at least two ways you can put out a fire. You can throw a, a wet blanket on a fire. You can take a fire extinguisher. You can do that. You know, you can put water on a fire and, ex and you can quench it that way. But another way is just simply not stoking the fire, just intent where we no longer fuel, place fuel on the fire. And through neglect the fire will eventually burn out. So in the natural, so it is in the spirit. There's different ways that we can put out the spirit's fire. And we've been talking really about how through um, a lack of prayer, a lack of communion with God, that actually causes us to, to extinguish uh, the, the spirit's fire in a sense. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 here, I just want to look at it because there's actually several key verses here beside the one in verse 19 that, that we should really look at. Um, first of all, when you, when you look at it here, we see in verse number 16, it says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. By the way, that's a commandment. And always in the Greek language means always. <laughs> I know that's profound, right? But uh, always, rejoice when? Always, at all times. 
but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my life is like. Rejoice always. Okay, then verse 17, pray continually or pray without ceasing. Now look at verse number 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Wow. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. How many gave thanks for everything you went through this week? Okay, that's a rhetorical question. You don't have to put up your hand. But the truth is, it doesn't say give thanks for all your circumstances, but give thanks in. Because some things that we go through are not the will of God, but it's the attack of the enemy. And even our own choices at times, we sabotage what God wants to do in our lives. But regardless, we're still to give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances, in all situations, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not concerning your mate, not concerning your your husband, your wife, your friend. (laughs) Concerning you, right? Remember, when you point one, how many are pointing back at you, right? So the truth is, it's God's will concerning you concerning me, that we give thanks in all things. And then, of course, the very next verse is, do not quench the spirit or do not put out the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Or some translations say, avoid the very appearance of evil. Now, when you look at this passage of Scripture, we see very clearly here that there are things as Christians, disciplines, acts, that we are supposed to engage in in order to see the constant flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to experience that. We it's it rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, do not put out the Spirit's fire. So God says, in all of your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, rejoice, worship, Right? This is how we fight our battles. And give him praise and glory in every situation. And what ends up happening is by doing this, we are intentionally, we are intentionally uh, stoking the fire. Prayer, worship, thanksgiving, all of these things intentionally stoking the fire. In 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, do not quench the Spirit's fire, but stir up the gift of God. One translation actually says, fan into flame the Spirit's fire. Fan it into flame. So you know what happens when, when a fire is about to go out and there's, there's something what you do. You know, sometimes we're trying to get the fire going again or we're trying to light a fire and we fan it, don't we? Whether you use bellows, the old bellows that you would use, or whether you just wave your hand, but you're trying, you're fanning the fire because you want the fire to burn. And he's saying that we need to fan into flame the fire of God in our lives. So how do we do that? We do it through prayer. We do it through thanksgiving. We do it through having a mindset of faith and worship, and and we do it through through love. We do it through praying for people that persecute us. We we do it through loving 
and, and showing the compassion of Jesus Christ in every situation, in every circumstance is so important. You see, the secret of revival is simply this. Revival will occur in a church, in an individual, or even in a nation that has learned to connect to the presence of God on a continual basis. You know, that's how revival happens. Revival is the constant flow of the presence of God in our lives, resulting in life. So when we access his presence, it changes everything, right? Because in his presence is fullness of joy, healing, deliverance, miracles, and freedom in his presence. So we need to learn to connect to his presence and stay connected. Have you ever had, uh, you know, an internet uh, service provider that constantly the connection would drop? Since I came to Australia, I say it's almost regularly here. <laughs> and, and even with NBN, it's like pretty bad. And I will say that, that the, the truth is that it happens, you know, especially at night when there's so many people online. It, it's just like drops, 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 right? You'd not be able to, to experience say, the, the full, um, you know, speed of, of the connection, right? And in the spirit, the same thing is with God. He, God wants us to stay connected so that everything that he wants to download into us, everything that he wants to do to us. Now, we, we are the ones who determine whether we stay connected or not. Unlike the internet, where we have no <laughs> say in it. We are the ones who determine, will we stay connected on a regular basis? So there is a responsibility that we have. Fan into flame. Stir it up. How do we do it? Do not put out the fire of the Spirit. Pray. Seek God. Worship. Important, right? But then we can also extinguish the fire by just intentional acts of disobedience. Things that we do that quench the Spirit of God. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 30, and do not grieve the Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. Acts seven fifty one. it says, don't resist the Spirit. In Hebrews ten twenty nine. it says, don't do despite unto the Spirit of God. So there's different things. Quench, resist, grieve, do despite to the Spirit of God. God has so empowered you and me that we actually determine whether the fire of God will burn continually in our lives. A bad attitude, murmuring, complaining will grieve the Spirit of God. And what ends up happening is when we do that, we, we, we are the ones who ultimately lose out. Because, I, I, you know, oh, wow, stress, anxiety. You know, when you're feeling stress and anxiety and you're just like, what's going on here? Be assured that you're not stoking the fire. Be assured that you're doing something that is actually grieving the Spirit of God, right? Worry, anxiety. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, it says what? Thank, and make your request known to God. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So it's, it's something that we have to in, be intentional about. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. This is powerful. It says, guard the treasure that was committed to you through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's what one translation says. Guard the treasure that was committed to you through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The message says, guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. Now, what is he talking about? What is this treasure? That's what the Greek word means. What is the treasure that God has entrusted to us? What is this precious thing that God has given us custody over? Looking at what different translations here. Well, we could say it's the word of God. Absolutely. It's the presence of God. Yeah, absolutely. It's all that he has entrusted to us as his children. Everything that God has said, this is my blessing. This is for you. This is all that I want you to experience. But ultimately, it comes down to his presence. Why does it come down to his presence? Because everything that we experience in the kingdom happens in his presence. It says in Romans 14, I believe it's verse number 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not the natural. The kingdom isn't about the natural. It isn't about the tangible. It isn't about the material or the earthly. The kingdom of God is not food and drink. But the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness. Do you know what righteousness means? That everything is right. That everything that God has planned for your life is right. You're experiencing all that he has made available to you. That you're experiencing actually righteousness and the accompanying evidence of that is peace and joy. So when we are righteous before God, when we're living in righteousness, we experience peace and joy. It's an amazing thing. But how do we experience, or let me say it this way, where do we experience this? In the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. So we need to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. And it says that we're to guard this treasure. Guard it. The Greek language is strong. It means to be watchful and to keep your eye upon something because you know the value of it and not to take your eyes off it, not to allow anyone to come and take it from you, steal it from you, but to keep your eyes on it at all time. Like a sentry, like a sentinel, like a watchman, like a guard. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the blessing. Guard what he's given to you. Remember, it says... In the book of of 3 John, let no man steal your crown. Let no one steal from you the blessing of God, right? Let no one take from you the things that God desires you to experience. We do it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You got to be alert. If the homeowner had not fallen asleep, the thief would not be able to plunder his home. And there are things that the enemy wants to do. He wants to steal the blessing of God from you. He wants to steal it from me. He wants us to, if we're experiencing revival, whether it's on an individual basis or or in a corporate sense or both, and it always starts with individuals, he wants to 
put out the fire of revival in our lives. That's his thing. See, the new covenant, though, is all about walking in and experiencing the presence of glory and glory of God in an ever-increasing fashion. That's what the Bible says. The new covenant is all about experiencing the glory and the presence of God in an ever-increasing fashion every day, closer. Now, I know we have days where it's difficult. I know we have days where we doubt, days when we get negative. We struggle with things. We struggle with our faith. We struggle with our emotions. We, we struggle with the things that are happening in our life. I understand that. But ultimately, we have to navigate through all of that so we come out on the other side stronger and closer to Jesus. So one day may not be a good day necessarily, but you can catch up. You can go, oh, wow, I just wasted a lot of time I just wasted, you know, a lot of energy and emotion here that I invested in stuff that really did not help. And God, why did I do that? And then we, we say, okay, recalibrate, reset, and let's, let's, you know, do, let's, let's move forward from this point on. And then we get closer to the Lord because the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Listen to this. And all of us, as with an unveiled face, continuing to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being constantly transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then, of course, the next verse says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. So this freedom that he's talking about is actually a process where you go from one level of glory to the next. And it's growing in that, growing in his glory, becoming more and more like him, increasing splendor, one degree of glory to another. So we are called, and I've said this just a few weeks ago, to create a sustainable environment where the presence of the Lord abides, remains, and increases in intensity and fervor. That's what we're called to do. Now, we talk about falling from our first love, don't we? And we almost treat it like this is normal Christianity, that, you know, you get saved, you're on fire for God, you're zealous, and then something happens, and somewhere down the road, you lose your passion and your fervor for the Lord. And this is like normal. I remember, no kidding, true. When I first became a Christian, going to church, and I had long hair, and, you know, the way I dressed and the way I carried on, piercings, the whole deal. And here I am, rebellious. I don't know any better. You know, I was in the music scene. That was my background. And end up going to church and some nice deacon walks up to me and tells me, you need to get your hair cut. Well, I told him he needed to do something too, okay? And it wasn't getting his hair cut, all right? Now, guys, I don't know if I was yet saved, but I certainly wasn't sanctified, okay? Let's put it that way. And, and, and later on, in retrospect, I thought, this is ridiculous. It's absolute nonsense where someone would look at me. They don't even know if I'm a Christian. And they're just saying, you need to cut your hair. Like, God really cares about that, you know? And as if that's even a matter with the Lord. And so, in 
that time and, and recognizing that, you know, and we have further conversations and, and then, you know, here I am, I'm growing in this church. I'm on fire for God. Every time the pastor gives an invitation or an altar call, I go. I don't care if it was to be saved. I would go. You're already saved, Glenn. You don't need to, I, Glenn, you're already baptized with the Holy Spirit. You don't need to come again. I don't care. I'm there. I'm hungry. I'm praying. I'm seeking God. I'm pressing into God. I'm spending time in the word. I'm spending time in prayer. God is changing my life. And, and yeah, eventually I did cut my hair a little bit, but ultimately, you know what? I, I, I would go to church and, and, uh, some of the conversations from the deacons. How many know some churches are deacon possessed? <laughs> Come on now. We need to cast those deacons, uh, those demons, uh, you know what I mean. Cast them out, man. And the truth is, it's like, wow, look at this guy. I mean, he's just full on. He's radical. Every time there's an altar call, he's there. Whoa. They're rolling their eyes like, I I'm just extreme. I'm a fanatic. And I even heard a conversation once. It was kind of like, yeah, you're really zealous. Very zealous. You're on fire. But later on, you'll mature. You'll mellow. You'll become calm. And what? And be dead like you? And be like you? So, I, seriously, that was, that was how people were talking. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. When I look back now, years later, what an atrocity. What, what, what a travesty that people would even live this way. And, and that whole spirit of, of just Phariseeism and, and religiosity. And, and I don't want that. I don't want to see the spirit's fire quenched in my life, you know? And, and you hear people talk about, Oh, zeal without knowledge. But you never hear anyone say knowledge without zeal. And it's true. I'd rather have a disciple who has zeal without knowledge and someone who has knowledge without any zeal. Because a person who has zeal and maybe no knowledge, they're teachable, they can be corrected, they can grow, but a person who knows it all, who's, who's a Pharisee, you know, they, they, they can tell you everything and that, that you're, you know, it, look, do you realize that not every time someone preaches in this pulpit, what they say is going to be theologically sound, including myself? Now, if you want to really get persnickety and technical about it, there are many times when we as Christians, we even take verses out of context. What we're saying is true, but we use the wrong verse to make that point. So technically, that's not theologically sound. Okay? And trust me, I can give many examples. And there have been times, you know what? Sometimes those things really preach well. <laughs> might not be the right verse to support the point, but the truth is biblical. Now, there are people, as they're growing in their relationship with God, that may say something that isn't 100% theologically sound. Now, you guys don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but trust me, I listen to every sermon, including my own. And we have conversations about things that need addressed at times, but we do it in hope, we do it with love. We do it to support. We don't do it to tear down. Because guess what? I'd rather have someone who's just a little bit off, but yet is zealous for God, than someone who's got all their ducks in a row and everything. 
that just is no longer growing even in Revelation. I know everything that needs to be known about the Bible. Oh, really? Yeah, I am, you know, theologically here. I've arrived. Nonsense. Not true. All of us, there's things we preach, there's things we believed. Later on in our life, we go, wow, I'm not sure that's really accurate. I dealt with that when we were in Bali. Christians that see things happen, and then they go, wow, I didn't think that was of God. Like people falling out under the power of the Spirit. I didn't think that was God. I always thought that was the devil. Yeah, someone said that to me. And I said, why did you say that? Because I was taught that all my life. I said, you never saw it before. No, no, not until today. I said, so what do you think? I know it was God. How do you know it was God? Because the presence of God was here. Lives were transformed. People were being changed. People were repenting. People were crying. People were being healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have to constantly be growing. If we don't, we quench the Spirit. We quench the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No. This God wants a perpetual abiding atmosphere of heaven on earth. That's what the early church learned to cultivate. They understood that they were called to host his presence. It says in Ephesians 2.22, listen to this, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Called to be a habitation of God through the Spirit. Who's called? He's speaking of the church collectively. Okay, we're called to be a habitation of God by the Spirit. The word habitation means to host or house permanently. To host or house permanently. God wants it to be a permanent habitation. Have you ever heard people say, you know, you're in the middle of, of worship, the Spirit's moving, and, you know, someone maybe gets up and, the, and they make an, they, they do the announcements, and maybe they didn't transition the best, and the flow wasn't the best, and, and they just kind of get up, and everybody is like, oh, Lord, hallelujah, I bless you, I praise you, and a person gets up, okay, everyone, please be seated, we're going to take our tithes and offerings, right? And then... Somebody goes, whoa, they grieve the spirit. And I'm like, guess what? Maybe they didn't transition the best, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit said, that's it, I'm gone, I'm checked out of here. Right? Why? Because here we are, worshiping focused on God, seeking his face, we're cultivating that presence. We're stoking the fire. We're living in a way that does not quench the spirit by throwing, you know, uh, hot water or cold water on, on the fire. And God's like, it's okay. It's okay. I, I didn't go anywhere. I'm still here. And I'm in your midst. And I can move in a powerful way. So here we are, you know, we go for this, this trip while we're in Bali and it's like a three hour car drive from the Dempasar all the way to the, the northernmost part of the island in a place called Singaraja. Go through a village that is the 100% Muslim village and everything, Hindu, you know, temples, every house has a, has a, has a temple, every house 
has it. I mean, it's just, it's just like so dark and, and just resistance and, and persecution. And when you get saved there, uh, often you're, you're put out of your family. We went, we never talked about this one. We never shared this testimony. On the way there, we went and visited a family and they kind of lived down a hill. They were all Hindus. They had all, that's the whole family, including the, the, the parents, the grandmother, the aunts, the kids, teenagers and children had gotten saved and given their life to Jesus. And here they are right in the midst of a Muslim stronghold and a Hindu, Hindu area. And they're about to be publicly baptized in the next month. And when that happens, guys, they may get kicked out of their village. Okay, they may have to leave. There are many people that have been thrown out of their village. They lose their jobs. Their family rejects them, uh, shuns them, and they even have to move outside of their village. We met person after person who had experienced uh, this and had known people who had experienced this. And here we are. And I asked a question. I said to them, I asked them, I said, because they told us how they were being persecuted. And I said to them, how are you guys standing up under the persecution when the community is coming against you because you now are confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior? How are you going with that? And the response for the interpreter was, it's an honor for us to suffer persecution for Jesus. No problem. We know what God has done for us in Christ, and we are committed to go through this. Wow. And so here we are, dark, hostile. We rock up. We walk down the hill. I mean, not a friendly place to be. And we start praying with these guys, start worshiping, and the power of God shows up. People are getting healed. People are being touched by the Spirit of God. Then we go into Pastor Eddie's community, first and only church, resistance. Can't start a church here. They said they were going to stone him. They would come out with stones and stone him if he tried to build the church. They ended up, they had to call not only the police, the mayor got involved, but even the army got involved. The army came out. And eventually what ended up happening is now he's become friends with them. He's gotten to know them. And now there's no problem. They not only protect him, but they even endorse the work that he's doing. He's helping people. So we walk into this church, guys. There's like no one. It's in the middle of a community. And there's like very, very few people. Can you imagine preaching for year after year after year and seeing nothing happen? Seeing hardly anyone or very few people saved? So here we are, and there's maybe about 10 people that show up. Power of God. He, I didn't know what we were doing. They, do, they just start worshiping God, and the presence of God just filled this place. Like, I mean, it was intense, the presence of God. I just started to weep. And knowing where we are and how difficult it was. And the presence of God is just there. The church is open. You know, there's, there's no uh, muffling things acoustically. They're hearing everything. And people come forward, and we just start praying for people, and boom, 
They start falling out under the power of God. They're getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. I mean, these guys, little kids, I don't know if we have any pictures of this, little children, some of them four and six years old, slain under the power of God, lying out under the presence of God. One kid was demon-possessed, six years old. And I prayed for him, cast the demons out of him, six years old, and he was out for like 10 minutes under the presence of God, healed, delivered. You see, there's a world out there, guys, I mean spiritually, not just in the natural. We have no idea what the enemy's doing. But let me tell you, the enemy is wanting to stop the fire of God. He wants to stop the fire of God. And there's different things he uses, different fire quenchers. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at four different ways he tries to stop the fire of God. The first one is deception. The second one is division. Discouragement is another one. And then ultimately distraction. These four things to try to stop revival, experiencing that in our personal lives. But we can overcome. Amen? At Eckrich, we don't just believe in crafting the finest smoked sausage and deli meats in America. We believe in doing whatever it is you want to do. Treading your own path. Seeing the world. Doing what feels right. And getting creative by skipping the recipe. Because whether you want to change the world or just change up a weeknight classic, Eckrich has got one thing to say. You do you. Eckrich, we don't just believe in crafting the finest smoked sausage and deli meats in America. We believe in doing whatever it is you want to do. Treading your own path. Seeing the world. Doing what feels right. And getting creative by skipping the recipe. Because whether you want to change the world or just change up a weeknight classic, Eckrich has got one thing to say. You do you. You do you.